Blog Talk Radio. Don't hesitate to give us a ring. 
if you've been listening and maybe said, ah, I should call in. Well, no, you know, we don't bite. You've been listening long enough to know we don't bite. Give us a call. Uh, whatever topics we're talking about, we'll jump in there with that. If you want to bring a whole new talk to the table, feel free to do that as well. But TB, we got to look back at the Mississippi State game. First and foremost, um, things were a little bit off still yet. We had a whole house of horrors that is Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Cats haven't won down there since 2008. And as bad as they were, as flat as they were, there were chances. And it's hard to believe that when you look up and they're you know, down 21-3 to and you throw a pick six to start the game. Uh, there were touchdowns to be had just off of hands and fingertips, um, some missed field goals again, and, and things that just self-inflicted wounds. Um, they lost 28 to 13. Showed some fight in the second half because they they could have fooled around and got really blown out, which is what happened down there two years ago. Um, they battled and just weren't able to close the gap and, and make some plays when they needed to. So now they dropped to two and two, heading to South Carolina this Saturday. Well, this game reminded me of last year's Mississippi State game in reverse. We stopped doing, I mean, we, I mean, the Kentucky team stopped doing what it does best. And we've heard people bemoan uh, the, the run-heavy, plotting nature of offensive coordinator Eddie Grant and head coach Mark Stoops and you know that has been the talk and you know I went off last week and I said the Mark Stoops way has increased wins every year he's not changing well they did and uh, I believe they were averaging like five point something yards per rush uh, against Mississippi State on Saturday and for some reason we passed the ball 40-something times. That's not going to get it done. And there was no need to go away from it. We went away from it as soon as as Sawyer Smith threw that pick six to start the game. We kept getting behind the sticks. We kept the down and distance kept being longer than 10. We could not get a rhythm, even though A.J. Rose started off you know, his first four rushes, I think he had 20-something yards. We ran the ball really, really well. And it was my thought that that was how we're going to get back into the game. Because, honestly, the defense didn't give up much. Yes, there was that play at the end where the uh, Mississippi State quarterback kind of broke it uh, and, and all that. But for the majority of the game, the defense played well. Not great, not spectacular, but they played well enough to win. Kentucky has to get back to running the ball. And, and that's, that's the biggest takeaway. We're not going to get back to that flashy 40-45 time pass. That, that, that to me has got me upset. I'm not upset that we were running the ball against Florida. I'm not upset that that's what we do. When we get away from that, that's the issue. Because it was it was working. Five yards of pop rushing against the Mississippi State, we knew going in that this was not the same Mississippi State team defense that we had seen in years past, you know, going back to the Joe Lee Dunn era, you know, 
had to take folks back a little bit. We we knew it wasn't that stout. So I thought to myself, if we just stayed the course, now it didn't ha- it didn't help that normally sure-handed guys drop balls. You know, we've gone this long yeah. uh, with Ahmad Wagner. He actually dropped a ball. Actually had some negative plays as we targeted him. Uh, I mean, you kind of knew that ridiculous stretch was going to end at some point, but, you know, the kind of the wheels fell off. So, really, Mississippi State was just a bunch of little things that the Cats didn't do, and Mississippi State took full advantage of. The one thing I have said, the program is better than when Stoops found it. But we are not to the point where the, the, the football team can absorb so many bad things. Right, a pick six, you know, just right. drops. We 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 can't overcome that. If you're Alabama, you can overcome that win. If you're, you know, if you're one of those programs, those kinds of things can happen, and you can still win. The margin of error for Kentucky football is so small and narrow. You don't have to play a perfect game, but you can't do what we did against Starkville. Right, you can't you can't do that. Uh, but again, even at two and two, all is not lost. What I would like to see Saturday, and I know we're going to talk about that later on, is get back to it. Give me a heavy dose of AJ Rose and Cavassier Smoke. Give me some Lynn Bowden in open space, and and take some shots with a mod wagon. Get back to that recipe. Get back to the recipe that got us up, you know, two scores on Florida heading into the fourth quarter. Get back to that. And I still think this this year can be successful because if we're going to be passing 40 times a game, this is going to be a three or four win season. That's not how we need to get this done. And that's not a knock on Sawyer Smith. It wouldn't be a knock on uh, Terry Wilson. But I remember I think it was Eddie Grant or some, some coach over the summer said, you know, we might be passing it 40 times a game. And I said then, that is not how we're going to win ball. That's just not how we're going to do it. I don't think I think yeah. the receiving core is better, but I don't think it's good enough for that. I don't. Th- I didn't think Terry Wilson was built for that, and I'm not sure Sawyer Smith is built for dropping back 40 times a game uh, and, and pass the ball. That's just not what we what we do. Let the offensive line do their thing, and let's plow the road. So it was a bad loss, uh, as you said, and, and as we've kind of seen the last few years, a, a big home game, let down, leads to a, an, an uninspired road performance. Happened last year, Georgia game, led yeah. to the Tennessee game. That's one of those things mm-hmm. that the coaching staff, they, they've got to work on. And, and I feel confident that they will, but that's just the, that's one of those things that they've got to, whatever it is to change that approach from week to week, you, you've got to, you've got to, I don't know if it's in the pre-week to the big game, you don't let it get that big. Or if it's something, you know, that Sunday after the Florida game this year, you say, okay, we're done. You know, you do a quick run through on tape on on the film and then you move on to the next opponent. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know enough about X and O's to do that. But it's clear that uh, a mindset has to change because this is, because uh, there was another game three years ago that was like that. I think it was the Auburn game that was a night game. There was a big-time game. There was a loss. And then the next yeah. game was kind of mm-hmm. uninspiring. 
So this has been a pattern, yeah. that, and, and I don't know how to fix it, but it's definitely, if we're going to make that next leap, I, I think that the, uh, the staff needs to address it because there are going to be big games, and sometimes you're going to lose those big games. You can't let the one game bleed into the second game, bleed into the third game. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, and um, and two, I think, and Mark Stoops said it in his post game presser immediately after the game. Didn't see signs of them coming out playing that way in practice, and like you said, I don't know the exit knows like you, but uh, I put it in my piece that I wrote on Karen Mills Radio. You you don't see signs of it. So according to Coach Stoops, it was a good week of practice. Uh, they weren't flat. They weren't, you know, messing up and having to redo a lot of stuff. And then you get to the game and still kind of duddish. And then you've heard coaches say and vice versa, you know, the week of practice goes terrible and they're kind of dreading going into the game to see what's happening based on practice. And then they play great. We, You know, you've heard both of those scenarios play out. There were apparently no signs of a letdown, a drop-off, a hangover, but then get to the game and, and it ended up being the case. Um, the, the pick six was a terrible way to start, especially on the road. Uh, second start ever for Sawyer at Kentucky. Um, and then you mentioned, too, the identity of running. A.J. Rose was over 100 yards, but he only got nine carries. Uh, he was averaging yeah. 11 yards a carry for the game. Uh, I think it, and a couple of those at the end were, you know, kind of no-game type carries. He had eight carries for 104 yards, 13 yards a pop. Um, so, and I think Coach Grant did kind of say, you know, maybe they were – he put Sawyer in some bad spots. Maybe they were thinking we can just pass on these guys, and and instead of adjusting to the fact that they were gashing them to the run, they kept trying to pass. Obviously, because they passed 41 times, and we never thought we'd see that. Like you said, even though we heard the talk of it all summer. And here's the thing: Corey Price, who we've had on the show, it knows just about every stat to do with Kentucky athletics ever. This is what he tweeted out. Since 2000, Kentucky has had at least 40 passing attempts in the game 49 times. Their record in those 49 games, 8-41. and 41. Oh. That's 16%. Also since 2000, Kentucky has had at least 40 rushing attempts in the game 69 times. Okay? The record in those... 48 and 21. So, what does that tell me as a Kentucky fan? We have to run the ball. We, I mean, we won almost 70% of the games where we get 40 rushing attempts. Uh, that, that, nope. that to me, and, and, and here's the thing we talk about Mississippi State kind of being a bugaboo. Uh, according to Corey again, uh, Mark Stoops, uh, Kentucky's had at least 40 passing attempts four times since he's been here. Three of those have come against Mississippi State. So I don't know what it is 
about Mississippi <laughs> State that gets us out of character. I, I don't I don't know. I, I know they've had some stout defenses, you know, years previous, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, I don't get it. So it, it, it's it's when you look at the numbers, and you know, numbers never lie. You know, it's just yeah. it's it's mind numbing how we went away from that. Uh, you know, when the that would be my frustration more than more than you know passing when we're winning and all this kind of stuff is don't get away from from what got you there, especially when it was working. That was my frustration as I'm sitting there watching it. Like AJ Rose brought it, you know, whatever he was missing in 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 Florida against Florida, he brought it to Starkville. Uh-huh. So my thing is, you 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 have to game plan like they did with Benny. When 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 the the biggest stat that, that popped out to me, I don't have the exact numbers, but I know for a fact most of Benny's rushing yards over the last his last two seasons were in the second half, right? Because last year the game plan was Benny started first quarter. A.J. Rose got his run, and after you've been battling those guys for 30 minutes, guess what? The second half, that's when Benny gets his work done, right? I'm thinking in my head, that's what we're going to do against Mississippi State on Saturday. At, at some point, they'll get tired of A.J. Rose and Cavassier Smoke and, and battling those guys, and we'll be able to really gash them. But it just never came to fruition. So, and I'm, uh, two games I know they got behind. I know they got behind, and you know that that kind of makes you think you got to throw. But it was it was twenty one to three. It was on the verge of getting really out of hand, but they stayed in it enough to where you think they probably still could have ran a little bit more than just you know Rose getting nine carries. What right? I mean, you and the thing is in college football with with the clock stopping on first down, your game plan doesn't have to change. Even though it's 20-3 to in the first half or whatnot, you can still get back into it by rushing the way we were. Now, if it was a situation where it was nine rushes for 10 yards, okay, yeah, we got to chuck that ball up there, right? We got to put the ball in the air. I I get that. (laughs) And and I get it. And I think it makes sense if you've got a Jared Lorenzen or an Andre Woodson, or a Tim Couch back there, okay, that makes sense. Even a Mike Hartline, who is a guy that we don't talk nearly enough about. But uh, if you've got one of those guys back there, I get it. But but if you're asking Sawyer Smith and his first road start in the SEC to drop back 40 times, that to me is coaching malpractice. That to me is what A. Grant saying is he put Sawyer in a bad way. Um, yeah. Because I think we abandoned a run that was working for no real reason. That's the frustrating piece to me. No. For sure, for sure. Um, and and we'll, we'll definitely talk South Carolina throughout the evening here in a little bit. And later on in the second hour, we got Colin Taylor. He is uh, with GamecockCentral.com, covers – South Carolina for that site. So we'll get him on and, and get into some Gamecocks. 
Uh, about 715, uh, be cool to give him a call around that time. Um, and not because we had him on as a guest. We we had Lewis Poor on as a guest, Chance Poor's dad, a few weeks ago. Um, every fan base has people that go overboard. Has Chance missed some kicks this year? Yes. The the Florida kick was a, a killer. That was a potential game winner. You hold them after you make that. You win the game. Comes back and makes his first kick against Mississippi State. We're like, oh, good, good, good. Good to see him get one under his belt for his confidence going forward. And then there was a chance to make it 21-13, to 13, uh, a one-score game again. And you kind of felt like Kentucky was trying to kind of get a little something going. As bad as the day had been, they were kind of at that point wrestling momentum away from, from Mississippi State. And then you get down there and, and come away with nothing. And that was kind of it was kind of over at that point. But if you take 15 seconds and go through Chance Porter's mentions on Twitter, it's absolutely ridiculous and not in a good way to see what people have been tweeting at him, Kentucky, quote-unquote fans have been tweeting at him. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying it just because we had his dad on, but it's, it's ridiculous, it's vile, it's, it's crazy. And, look, I was there with him just for a few minutes. <clears throat> it was after the Toledo game. He had just kicked his career long, made the kick. And I said it to you then, TB, that on the next show, he was, you know, beating himself up for not hitting it right. He undercut the ball, put too much spin on it. He was going through all the things he did wrong on a kick that he nailed. So we all know good and well that he didn't come out and, and try to miss those kicks against Florida and Mississippi State. And I saw him after the May kick in person beating himself up. So you know he's agonizing over these misses. Absolutely. Uh, I saw Lynn Bowden tweeted out about the fans or, or, or something like that. It, it, the people were upset about uh, that. Um, it's ridiculous. I wouldn't sit there and, and roast a professional athlete for, for missing, you know, um, but that's just me. But going after a, a college kid and their kids, I do think you have to approach it differently. Uh, more so than particular play or anything like that. Like I said, this this this, this game, this Mississippi State game, rests on the coaches, right? Uh, the, the coaches, and, and I know missed field goals and missed blocks, those kinds of things happen. That's the thing about uh, being a kicker that is, is the spotlight is really bright because everybody sees your mistake. Nobody pays attention to the mm-hmm. right guard that missed a block on that play. Nobody pays attention to the quarterback mm-hmm. that made a wrong read or defensive back that got out of position. When it comes down to it, you're the kicker, you kick it. I, you know, I, I get being upset, 
I think everybody is upset yeah. when, when we lose. I, right. I get that. But uh, directing your ire toward a kid is is even if you're not directly mentioning him or adding him or, or something direct. I, I don't want. To, I don't even like to see it on my social media feed. You know, people denigrating the the kids, and we see that. It's, you know, especially across. Uh, uh, you know, when when men's basketball rolls around, right? We all we've all seen we've all seen that. Uh, you know, people just get emboldened. People people yell uh, things at players, and it's it's gone too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, th- these kids want to win more than you do. Let me just put that out there. You know, these coaches want to win more than you do, and uh, these kinds of things, you know, here's the here's the one thing that I don't think a lot of people think about. I watch a lot of these uh, shows and snippets where they get a lot of old players around talking about their careers. You know, I'm sure you've seen you know, that. They, I forget what it was. It was Ernie Johnson one day talking to a bunch of old NBA guys, Shaq and Isaiah Thomas and all this kind of stuff. But I've seen NFL players all the same. Before you can talk about their highlights, almost to an athlete, to a person, they will tell you the plays they made to mess up. They will keep you, you know, time and score on, on hey, I, I should have done X, Y, and Z. That, this kind of stuff, if you're an athlete on that, it eats at them. And for me, I'm of the old school where I'm not going to put anything. You're already beating yourself up. Why do I need to swoop in and make you and make you feel worse? You know, like mm-hmm. like he knows. Chance Ford knows. I missed that kick. You know, and that that's got to eat at it. It, it does. I, I have no doubt. So, other than trying to make yourself feel good, what's the point of reaching out to someone and telling them they suck? Other than you just being a, you know, a bad person. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, and there will be uh, opportunities, a chance to be in a position to make some big kicks down the road. Uh, they've made a change right now with Matt Ruffalo came in and kicked, um, hit a hit, hit a kick toward the end of the game that gave Kentucky 13 points. Uh, like he'd be the kicker heading into South Carolina, and and you know from that standpoint, maybe you have to do what you have to do, uh, or go with who you think is going to put you in the best position to win and put points on the board. And you got to hate that for him too, because he's he's from South Carolina. They're from closer to Clemson, but traveling back to his home state of South Carolina for this game, and um, got banged up on the end of that one kick and. Uh, according to the depth chart, probably going to be number two. You just, you know, uh, you, you hate that it's kind of a dark period right now and, and looking forward to when it'll get better, and it will, and can move on and put it all behind him. Um, and especially for him and for his family to have to deal with, you know, so much vitriol is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, because – Having Mr. Poor on, look, we're we're parents, 
And, you know, one of the things uh, with with my girls playing and, and, and everything is you want them to do well, but you don't want them to be the scapegoat either. You want to try to protect them as much as you can. And so as a parent, you got to bite your tongue, as I'm sure Mr. Poor and the poor family would want to say something. But you have to you have to ride it out, and that's tough. And that's tough. So hopefully we can get back on track on Saturday, turn things around, continue the, uh, some folks might say, domination of, of South Carolina. <laughs> Uh, and, and you know all will be right with the world. Absolutely. Going for six in a row down there come Saturday night. So uh, that would right the ship, get back to three and two, going into the bye week, feel a lot better about everything if they're able to go down there and, and win like they have these past well, past two or three times down there, but past five years overall uh, combined. Um, just a random light note to your hometown of Louisville. I'm switching gears totally. Vanna White was in Louisville at the Yum Center because the Kentucky Lottery has a new Wheel of Fortune game. Did you run down there and say hello and get an autograph or, or chit-chat since they were in town for that? No, I, I saw that, and Vanna White has been on. Uh, she's been on Wheel of Fortune for a long time. I just realized, you know, when you think about it, I remember growing up, and she was on. Uh, uh, she was on Wheel of Fortune, but no, I did not go uh, see her, even though I did see she was in uh, town. Yeah, yeah, so I saw that, and I was like, man, I gotta you know, throw that out there since she was in your city. Um, Another big thing that became news today um, from the Courier-Journal was that two ladies, two students, were suing UK Athletics uh, for discrimination for Title IX because they felt that there weren't enough sports for women to participate in at UK. So UK Athletics, Dr. Capilouto, Ms. Barnhart, now kind of have this situation, uh, and I'll pull it up here. Um, Michelle was tweeting us about it, and others have kind of taken the story as well. I saw like WKYT had it, uh, Recurrent Journal had it, and this is a developing situation, I guess is what we would call it as of right now. Yeah, so you having two daughters, you know, could could probably might be able to speak on it more than I will. I'll, I'll pull it up right now um, and get it where I can get some more details and just kind of read some of it verbatim. Let me see. The lady's name was Morgan um, that wrote it um, for the Courier Journal. Let me pull it up right quick. Yeah, this is great radio for everybody, but I apologize. I'll have it here in just a second. Let's see, let's see. Morgan Watkins, Courier Journal. And two students sue University of Kentucky for failing to offer enough women's sports. Um, 
The claimant school is violating federal law by failing to offer women enough opportunities in varsity athletics. The lawsuit says UK has to add about 183 women to its athletics programs to comply with Title IX, the civil rights law that prohibits sex discrimination in federally funded education programs. The suit was filed in federal court this morning against UK, its Board of Trustees, Mitch Barnhart, and Dr. Capilouto. UK responded with a program, with a with a statement defending its athletic programs. The University of Kentucky fully complies with Title IX and its regulations concerning participation in intercollegiate athletics. As a campus community, we care deeply about these issues, and this is according to spokesman Jay Blanton. With 22 sports, UK has the broadest base athletics well, athletics program in the SEC. Based on our surveys of our students, the current sports offerings fully accommodate the interests and abilities of our undergraduate students. <clears throat> now, Jill Zweigerman is the uh, lawyer who's representing the two ladies who are suing. She's out of Des Moines, too. Uh, Elizabeth Niblock is a senior at UK, and Meredith Newman is a junior at UK. Um, Jill Zweigerman is representing them. And Jill says, well, Niblock says, the fact that it's the 21st century and there's still an issue towards having gender equality among sports baffles me. Um, Title IX was passed in 1972. They've had it since 1972 to do better than 183 women out of compliance. The University of Kentucky can do better, must do better. The primary goal is to comply with Title IX as quickly as possible. Women athletes are missing out on scholarship opportunities as well because of this inequality. Um, so Niblock and Newman, the two ladies who are suing, are asking that the court require UK to add more varsity-level opportunities for women and to increase the financial assistance it affords women athletes. They're also seeking unspecified monetary damages. Uh, according to the NCAA's website, and I know this is a lot of reading, but it's just better to do it than try to paraphrase. An institution has to meet one of these three tests as part of the requirements for complying with Title IX. One, provide opportunities for women and men to participate that are substantially proportionate to their respective enrollment rates. Two, show a history and ongoing practice of expanding programs for the members of the sex that's underrepresented. Three, effectively and fully accommodate the abilities and interests of the group that's underrepresented. The lawsuit claims that UK hasn't fulfilled any of those stipulations and have engaged in, quote, in systemic discrimination on the basis of gender at UK. Uh, by offering opportunities to male students to participate in intercollegiate athletics, UK has just demonstrated its belief that athletic opportunities provide educational benefits that should be supported by the university. UK historically has not provided and currently does not provide its female students with such equitable access and opportunity. And they broke down some numbers here. Um, the UK has, according to them, according to uh, the U.S. Department of Education's website, UK reported that it has 226 participants on its women's teams. That includes six on the co-ed rifle team whereas there's 331 participants on its men's teams, including five on the rifle team. So that means that women make up about 41% of the participants in varsity sports 
at UK. However, women comprise 55% of UK's full-time undergraduates. So 55% of the undergraduates are female, 41% are, you know, playing sports. 41%, 226 out of the 557 male and female students. And then they compare it to UofL, uh, where it says more women than men have been participating on varsity teams. That's according to the U.S. Department of Education. It says UofL has 354 participants on its women's teams, 319 on its men's team. Uh, and like UK, there are more women undergrads at UofL than there are men. Uh, so at 53%, the women's participation on UofL's varsity teams appear proportionate to their enrollment rate. Um, and then it says athletes have repeatedly tried to go through the chain of command to get a lacrosse team, a field hockey team at UK. Lawsuit even says the UK has refused to add a triathlon team despite offering, being offered a $150,000 grant to help launch one. So um, that's kind of the gist of it. These two ladies uh, are suing UK. It gives numbers with the proportion and percentage of women participating in sports compared to the men and the percentage of undergraduates at Kentucky compared to men. So this happened today and, you know, at some point today when we were at work and it's definitely going to be a big story. Well, you know, the, the, the biggest thing when it comes to this is, is football, right? No, there's there's no other sport that has the headcount of football, so that that's kind of always the elephant in the room when it comes to these these numbers. Is football is kind of on its own. Uh, I know uh, that you know I would love to see more teams competing. Uh, my girls play lacrosse and field hockey. U of L has those as varsity sport for women. UK does not. You know that's just mm-hmm. the, the bottom line. Uh, but I don't know the process of of how you add a sport. I don't you know I don't know all those mechanics of it. But with, without getting into the into detail, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't see Mitch Barnhart in UK just flat out not. Uh, complying with Title IX. That's just my interpretation. Even though I would love to see, you know, like I said, those are the two sports my girls play. I would love to see them Mm -hmm. play those sports in Lexington instead of Louisville. I would love to see that, Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest with you. So I I don't know how how easy it is to add a varsity-level sport. I don't don't know the process uh, to that. but the same token, I know that there's uh, there's women's volleyball, and I didn't realize until just a few years ago there's actually men's volleyball that's available uh, at the NCAA level, uh, and men's gymnastics as well. So, uh, without getting all the details, I would hope that the, the UK makes this right. I don't know what that means as, as far as numbers. I'm not sure that. If somebody could break that down for me, um, 
you know, how easy it is to add, uh, you know, to to add a uh, another varsity sport or two. Um, I, I don't know. And if if they are in compliance, then of course that's where you want to be. The track record suggests they definitely do their best to cross all T's and dot all I's. But having said that, you know, like you say, you don't know what it takes to start a team lacrosse and field hockey. Even if they are in compliance and they'll hash all that out, just lawsuit, those are two steps that could be taken. And, you know, they just got called on it from these two ladies, whether the ladies are 100% correct or not. So, you know, they, they could maybe incorporate or get those things going down the road and, and make their numbers even better. Their numbers might be in compliance. I don't know. But those there's two steps that could be taken to – Quill anything like this from from happening or having somebody even um, get to the point of of wanting to bring a lawsuit for those two options not being available, among other things. Yeah, and like I said, I don't want to just rush into this saying, you know, hey, UK is in the right, this lawsuit doesn't have merit. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say that. I just I feel that you know that uh, that whatever it takes to get into compliance, we can we can do that if it's adding more sports. Uh, but the but the big thing has always been football. When you're looking at just the numbers, there's there's nothing out there that equates to the the number of scholarships on a football team, even though it's down to 85. I think now there's there's nothing else that, to balance that out. So to to, to make it equitable, you need three, maybe four women's only sport uh, to balance out just football. And I think that's always the uh, like I said, that's always the elephant in the room. Is, is how do you how do you bring about those sports? You know, I, I don't know. Is there, because you can offer them, but is there an interest for them? That's the thing as well. And I'm not trying to be, you know, chauvinist guy and all this kind of stuff, but if Kentucky had a, a field hockey team, they say we're going to start it for the 2020-2021 season, you have, you've got to have bodies to do that. So I don't know how you kind of start that up. You know, I don't, I don't know how you make that push. I don't know. So there's a lot – I think there's a lot of working parts that would work, be necessary to, to, to do that kind of thing. And, and people much smarter than me have to – have to take that uh, into consideration. Yeah. So that was some UK news across the wire. So, uh, definitely had to hit on it. And uh, apparently there was a press conference with the, the attorney that represents the ladies that happened this afternoon. So no doubt there'll be more updates to follow as well. So we'll see what becomes of it one way or the other and see how 
UK and Mr. Capilouto and Mitch Barnhart, you know, handle it going forward. Absolutely. Let's take us a, a quick little break. We almost, well, we got another segment left in the first hour. Take us a quick little break right now, though. We squeezed a lot into this first 45 minutes. Still got Gamecock Talk. Uh, South Carolina, we got that coming up the second hour with Colin Taylor. Will Muschamp, six in a row, potentially, hopefully, from our end. All of that and more. This is Cast Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, BlogCalkRadio.com, brought to you by Smoky Mountain Trader and Huff Law Office. We'll be right back, y'all. Don't go nowhere.
Welcome back, welcome back. Cast Talk Wednesday. Any Hardy, Terry Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Fun first hour so far. Look back at my first date. It was just a little bit off. Uh, Cats just couldn't come out firing on all cylinders. Uh, you know, falling short down there again in Starkville. Uh, Got to move on and try to take care of South Carolina. This was the uh, two back-to-back road games before the bye. Um, already let one loss become two. Got a count on South Carolina who is uh, not setting the world on fire down there uh, at one and three. So it's, it's you know going to be a must win for them. South Carolina picked ahead of Kentucky again, even though they lost to Kentucky all these years in a row. One and three. The only team they beaten is Charleston Southern. Lost to the North Carolina, lost to Missouri, lost to Alabama. Um, still got Clemson, still got Texas A&M, still got Florida, still got Missouri. Uh, they are desperate for a win. Uh, we'll get into, into some details of what it's really like down there when Colin Taylor hopped on. But it's going to be like it was in Starville. Mississippi State had lost to Kansas State. They they wanted to win as well. Kentucky didn't go on the road and, and play like they needed to. So you got to kind of learn from last Saturday's mistakes and go into this Saturday uh, and be ready for what's going to be facing me. Uh, assuming South Carolina hasn't just checked out on where much have, they're going to be desperate to get a win as well. Because they dropped a one and four. I mean, this season is, is, you know, as far as bowls, it, it becomes really tough for them. So uh, they they got to go down there expecting South Carolina's best shot. Yeah, you know, well, as we talked about earlier, you, you can't get away from what who you are. And and that's what we we want to see with the with the team against South Carolina. We've got to run the ball forty times. That's the recipe. That's how you win. It isn't pretty. And a lot of those games people don't like. And uh, I, I get that. It's, it's you know Kentucky hasn't been winning pretty. You know, but you get enough of those wins. Ten wins looks really really good. So to me, I, I think you just have to. Uh, You've got to be able to match that intensity. South Carolina at home, as you said, they, it's a it's a game they have to have because uh, one in four. That's uh, yeah, you 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 really put yourself behind the eight ball in terms of even getting bowl eligible. You know, with other games mm-hmm. down the road, so uh, we're going to see an aggressive uh, aggressive uh, team come out, and it should be an aggressive Kentucky team. I was just thinking this, you know, we're two and two. When's the last time we were below 500, like on the season? Two years ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. You know, when's the last time we were two and three or four and five? It's been a while, right? It's been a long time. So, so 
the Kentucky, I expect them to come out with some pride as well, you know, to, to not get below 500. To me, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. So I'd love to see a step in the right direction there. They were 0-2 in 2016 when, when Drew Barker got hurt and Steven Jackson, Steven Johnson, Steven Jackson, former Spurs, small forward and Rams running back, Steven Johnson, um, they were 0-2 that year and then still turned it around and went 7-5. and five. Um, So, I don't know, maybe the 0-2, the 1-2, the 2-2 that year. That's the last time they were below 500 because that's when they lost to Southern Miss and Florida to start the season. And then it's been seven wins, yeah. seven wins, nine wins ever since. Wow. So, so you've got to, so you've got to have a little bit of, a uh, little bit of pride, uh, you know, with that. So, it's, I expect there to be a, a big game. It's going to be a good uh, SEC caliber game on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. I got Van Howes was tweeting at us, us and the show. Um, he said to. Uh, Tune in to Cats Talk Wednesday. He tweeted just before it started. Tune in to Cats Talk Wednesday at the top of the hour after listening to my boys, Vin and Terry, watch the second half review of the Mississippi State game from this morning. So Van is breaking it down. Uh, you got the, the Periscope video underneath. But tell everybody to listen to us and then watch his breakdown. So, and look, you talk about dropping knowledge. We've had Van on many times and, and got to get him on again. Hadn't had him on this football season yet. Uh, Someone dropping knowledge and breaking it down. Um, Van can definitely do that. So he's got the second half of the Kentucky Mississippi State game that he broke down this morning. I appreciate him showing us some love as well. And plus, he's a VH. You know what's VH has got to stick together, TB. That's just how it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey man, the NFL man. I, look, uh, you know, just a W for your Niners. Another win for the Cowboys. Both of them sitting on three and zero. I know, maybe from expectation level, you and I had different expectations going into the season, based on where our teams are. You guys are still building under. Uh, Shanahan, uh, just getting your quarterback back from an injury. Uh, the Cowboys have kind of gotten to a point where now we got a window of what we're going to do with it. Uh, made the playoffs last year, won a game. Now what are we going to do coming back this year? A lot of bullets in the chambers for the Cowboys. I know the Niners just beat the Steelers, but you, you got to play who the schedule says you got to play. Are you still the same as you were before the season started? Have you allowed yourself to get a little bit excited? Uh, where are you at on on your 49ers right now? I'm I'm excited. They're three and over for the first time since 1998, and 1998 was the ended with the playoff win uh, over Green Bay. The the toss from Young to Owen, Owen, Owen that play. Uh, so. Uh, what I also like to see is I know they haven't played a, a, a great schedule, but three weeks in, 
the 49ers are the only team that's number four in both uh, yardage-wise offense and defense. Uh, so the, the defense has played really, really well. They played extremely sloppy against uh, the Steelers, uh, coughing up five turnovers, but still were able to win. Uh, that has got me excited. I watched the Rams on Monday night, and I wasn't too wild about the Rams. <laughs> I watched the uh, Seahawks on Sunday. I wasn't too wild about the Seahawks <laughs> on Sunday. And the Cardinals are the Cardinals. I'm not too wild on them. So I feel pretty good that once we start playing uh, inside the division, that they're going to be pretty good. Now this, you know, three and zero, you know, it can be eight and eight in a hurry, or it can be something more. And, and I yeah. feel that just what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm starting to talk myself into 49ers being being viable this season. Uh, you know, I've been reserving judgment. But just looking mm-hmm. at the lay of the land three games in, uh, I mean, you know, the Rams could not put away uh, the Browns. Todd Gurley doesn't look right. I mean, I don't know what it is, but they had a, a stat up during the Monday night game where, you know, his last, you know, there's there's a tale of two Todd Gurley's. You know, the first half of his career is, is one thing, and the second half, He's not getting the touches, not getting the yardage. So there's, there's something going on there. Uh, but just with the, with the 49ers, if they keep doing what they're, what they're doing, you know, I, I feel pretty good. I know the schedule's going to tighten up a little bit uh, here, but 3-0 is 3-0, and I'm, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, and, and speaking of Seattle's, you know, like you said, not wowing. They, they lost Sunday. How about Teddy Bridgewater going in there and getting the win when most people just chalked it up as a Saints taking the L in Seattle? I mean, you know as well as anybody, you're not have to play there every year. But, you know, Teddy Bridgewater went up there and guided the Saints to a win. I think he got a special teams touchdown at the beginning, but. He was solid, uh, didn't crack under the pressure. Russell Wilson was making Russell Wilson-type plays, but, you know, the Saints spirit all of it and, and left the 12th man or whatever he called up there with the W. Yeah, you know, and this is the thing that NFL, when you follow college sports and pro sports, it's kind of weird. Because I find myself rooting for Teddy Bridgewater. Like, I, I think this story doesn't get enough. The Teddy Bridgewater story, like, he was close, close to getting his leg amputated at the knee. Like, I don't think people have seen how bad that injury was. It was not just is he going to play football again, not just is he going to walk again. It is we might have to cut the leg off. And to come back and play an NFL game, now he might not ever be what his trajectory was before injury. But that's okay. You and I have seen quarterbacks that, that have lost something come back and have very productive careers, like Vinny Testaverde for one. You know, nothing flashy about Vinny Testaverde. But he led a lot of teams into the playoffs, given his 
you know, giving his squad a shot. Uh, you know, so I'm I'm not saying that that, that Teddy's going to be that. What I am saying is, again, you cannot be what you are supposed to be, but still be pretty good and effective as a quarterback in the National Football League. For the Ron Jaworski fans, when I spell out National Football League, also uh, you, you got to give it up to Lamar Jackson, and I and I hate mm-hmm. this because Teddy and Lamar, you know, their college days. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan, but I have a big fan of him now. And I love yeah. that, that Lamar Jackson is, is doing it throwing the ball. And this is what I've said about Lamar Jackson, that people, when he, his draft, when he was going through the draft process, you can say as a talking head, okay, I don't think Lamar Jackson is going to be that good. That's fine. But a lot of the stuff with Lamar Jackson was, was with that old, veiled, we don't think a black guy could be a quarterback. Because there's a couple of these NFL talking heads, every time there's a black quarterback coming up in the draft, he grade, they grade him poorly. Whether it's Cam Newton or Jameis Winston or whoever, they just get bad grades. And, and – your dad, my dad of that generation that remembers when Warren Moon had to go to Canada to play, right? Yeah. Like so, so, so we would, right? So so we remember those stories of all the black quarterbacks that had to go play somewhere else or move positions. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff about Lamar stopped being about Lamar specifically and really was bringing up all this stuff. So I find myself rooting for Lamar. I I, I do. I, I I find myself rooting for the black quarterback. I, I honestly I do. I think Cam Newton. And we talked about this last week uh, with 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 Paul Feinbaum being very personal in his attack against Cam Newton. Uh, Cam Newton has been great. He is an MVP caliber player. I would say. He's been a better player than Eli Manning has been, I would say. All things considered, I know Super Bowls, yada, yada, yada. But but to be so dismissive of Cam, I, I thought was bad look. You know, and we see this with with all, all these uh, black quarterbacks that kind of catch this extra layer of scrutiny. You know, and on the, and on the flip side, you see – Blaine bleeping Gabbard get called. There was somebody that the Jaguars called up. I had no idea who the guy was. Fale or Dale or something like that. And somebody's like, oh, no, he played at San Jose State. I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. So you can't tell me that NFL quarterbacking is this exclusive club, and they're pulling guys out of retirement, pulling guys <laughs> off their couches to, to come play. Stop. Just stop. You know, and I'm not getting the uh, the Kaepernick situation, but, but but just grabbing guys off the streets, you know, like, like Jay Cutler. I like Jay Cutler because Jay Cutler don't care. And that, to me, is awesome because that, to me, is like a lot of us in our own workplace. Jay Cutler does just enough around review time. <laughs> you know, he's just, just enough to not get fired, 
And then review time comes up and he's awesome. You know, so you got to it, – it's just – and I know I've rambled about quarterbacks, but looking at Teddy and what he's had to come through, looking at Lamar, and I find myself rooting for those guys. As distasteful as that is to my big blue spirit. But once they leave whatever rival college it is, I can, you know, I can kind of compartmentalize it and, and keep it separate. Uh, you know, when Teddy got drafted to the Vikings and then before the horrific injury, I was, you know, hoping he did well. Uh, and I'm glad to see Lamar, like you stated, doing all the things he's doing. I even think after the first couple games, you <laughs> Yeah, he said in his press conference, you know, not not bad for a running back because he heard all the talk about, you know, he should change positions and all that. Um, but once they leave Louisville, you know, I'm fine with them. You know, Montrez Harrell played for the Rockets for a little bit. I was cool with him. You know, Jason Witten has been with the Cowboys forever, and, you know, I'm ecstatic every time he makes a catch and scores a touchdown. Um, I can kind of, you know, separate. Once they turn pro, uh, you know, if they play for a rival in college and then go to your team in the pros, I can do that. Now, I can't root for Teddy this weekend because he's playing the Cowboys. And it's at New Orleans, and he's already shown that it's, look, just because he's filled in for Drew Brees over the next six weeks or so, don't just assume you're going to walk in here and beat the Saints. You know, he just went to Seattle and won. Uh, you see him playing well again and, and giving the Cowboys their first loss. Now, I'm, I'm rooting for you, Teddy, but I'll, I'll resume rooting for you after this coming Sunday afternoon. I, I can't pull for you this week, buddy. Well, you know, I, I yeah, I'll, I'll pull for Teddy this week, but but your Cowboys are looking good. I'm sure you will. <laughs> uh, the Cowboys, the Cowboys sure are looking will. good. They are partying like it's 1992. It is going back to the Super Bowls. It is, you know, Bill Clinton is president, and we're drinking clear Pepsi and you know, and living colors on the tube. It is. We're taking it way back for the Cowboys being good. I love it. I love it. There's, there's nothing more throwback Thursday than a 3-0 and Cowboys team to make the Cowboys fans good. Wow. Our, our Super Bowl drought is one year younger than y'all. So it's all on the band. So, so, sure yeah, y'all win. Super Bowl winning. Super Bowl winning. But the fact that Cowboys had not first, you're last. You know, huh? Ricky, Ricky Bobby Daddy said, "If you ain't first, you last." So that lost that Baltimore Super Bowl. I mean, you know, y'all might as well not even been there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was glad about that. So, anyway, you know, so did, you know. did you see the NFL Network is counting down top 100 plays in NFL history, celebrating 100 this 100 years? And I don't know if you saw what the number two play was. Number one was the immaculate reception. I don't know if you saw what number two was. Huh. No, but the, the immaculate reception to still be number one 50 years later, I mean, I know it was great. It's the Steelers, so I'm going to be biased. The helmet catches up there, that's just as good as the immaculate reception, in my opinion. You know, number Eli's two in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. 
It was the NFC Championship game in December of 1981. The four, San Francisco 49ers oh, was oh, third down and three oh, on the Dallas oh. Cowboys six-yard line. And, and, and Bill Walsh called a play. He said, Joe, Joe Montana, we need you to do this. And there was a sprint rollout where Montana had to roll to his right. And he called the play, and he rolled to his right. And Ed Tall Jones was there. And the whole defensive line was there. And they were outstretched. And the beauty of the play is, I'm not even sure Montana even saw Dwight Clark in the end zone. That's the beauty of the play. A lot of people speculate that Montana was trying to throw the ball away. But he throws it up there, and in the back of the end zone, Dwight Clark goes up and makes the catch. So, I didn't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not. And I got problems with both of those. It made made Dwight Clark rest in peace. It was uh, 28-27 matters win. The only solace, and it's not much, was the fact that we were both like three years old when it happened, so we couldn't remember it in real time. Uh, I'm glad it didn't happen in the 90s when we were watching the rest of the robbery take place. But, yeah, you got to got to tip your cap to Joe on that play. I'm still ahead of him in the Balto NFL pick on challenge, though. I'm just saying, him and Jerry are both still behind me. But you got to tip your cap to Joe on that play. Yeah, but to, to round out the top five, number five in NFL history is Malcolm Butler uh, picking off Seattle in the Super Bowl, oh. which in, in real time, like real talk, that to me is indefensible. You give Marshawn Lynch the ball. It was bad then. It's worse in retrospect, but there you go. Uh, number four was the uh, miracle, Music City Miracle Titans against Buffalo. Uh, that yeah, that's played. a good one. That's a good. Number three was the, was the helmet catch. Eli to yeah, okay. Tyree. Yeah. Okay. Which, Oddly enough, I still believe that that was just his last catch in the NFL. You know, that would be a great documentary I would watch is, is guys who, like, their moment was just in the, in the Super Bowl, like David Tyree, uh, like yeah. Kenny Smith for the, for the Redskins, yeah. who mm-hmm. set the rushing record in the Super Bowl but didn't have 80 <laughs> more yards the rest of his career, like just – I would yeah. love to see a documentary on that. Uh, That's great. Number two, obviously, the catch. Uh, the catch. Uh, that was the 49ers uh, over the Cowboys. I believe the Cowboys were yeah. favorite. You know, when, you know I, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that. Uh, but number one was the immaculate uh, reception, which I, to me, I, I guess I've probably seen better. I thought that maybe Santonio Holmes' catch in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals would have would have been higher yeah. just for the degree of difficulty. And I saw a clip of that. I didn't realize that he had dropped the ball on the play before. Like, he had dropped the ball in the touchdown, and then Ben says, hey, we're going to come back to you on this one, and then he makes the catch. So, to, to me, I think there's, there's plays that are just – I would put above the immaculate reception. It's just become this thing. It's more of a fluke play than anything, but that's again, that's just me 
Uh, I'm looking for a top ten list. But those are your top five NFL plays on uh, NFL.com. So, um, yeah, I need to I need to look at that. But I got a problem. And look, my you know my bias is coming out with you know the 49ers and the catch, and then with the Steelers, you know, and the Macklin reception. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, my Steelers, my bias against both of those teams is tainting my judgment, but uh, you know, San Antonio Holmes, that was a great catch, even though he was a Steeler. Like, Marshawn Lynch's run against the Saints in the playoffs, where he stiff-armed Tracy Porter into the future and back, that should be top ten to me. Uh, I mean, he ran through the whole defense and it won the game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Barry Sanders has to have some stuff. Barry Sanders needs to be in there. Uh, the, look, and here we go still again, the, the Lance Juan stuff, you know, the catches he made against the Cowboys, uh, you know, that's probably got to be in there. Um, and, you know, Barry Sanders, pick any Barry Sanders run, you know, that's, that's got to rank up there in my opinion too. And, and you got to give some props to, and I haven't looked at the list in its entirety, but the NFL, it's older than 20 years, right? Like, you know, just because all these current plays are on repeat, there were some great plays from way back when, you know, Bart Starr and the Ice Bowl, and, and Jim Brown's got some plays where he just is plowing people over, and, and Gale Sayers and those folks. So definitely. Yeah, uh, and you, you just, yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. There's, you know, you watch Gale Sayers on YouTube, there's a play, and it's like in, in his whole highlight reel. You just watch all of them, and we'll call Colin Taylor here in just a minute. There's a play where they – it's like a sweep to the left for Gil Sears because he was left-handed. And it looks like it was like a design halfback pass. He, like, gives a little similar pump, like he's about to throw it. Is like it's not there, and he tucks it and just weaves through everybody like a Porsche going through traffic. It's insane. Oh, I'm gonna throw it. Nope, I'm gonna stop on this dime, reverse field, and cut through all of y'all like y'all ain't even out here on this field with me. It's just, I mean, <laughs> your, your mouth just drops every time you watch it. But I swear it looked like he was supposed to be a design halfback pass. I would I would definitely like to like to check that check you know I tell people check those out you can it's not like you can't see clips of Jim Brown and Gail Sayers not on Graham uh, just check uh-huh. it out just check it out absolutely we will jump into some South Carolina game talk talk now get a little perspective from what's happening in Columbia. We'll get my man Colin Taylor's number pulled up here. Let's see. Covers the Gamecocks for Gamecock Central. Uh-oh. So here we go. Get this number pulled up. And we'll get into some must champ and some 
desperation, got to have the win, losing to Kentucky five years in a row, all of that with Colin Taylor. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message Uh-oh. system. Eight zero three three four eight five six six one is not available. At the tone, please record yeah. your message. When you have finished, re- I'm gonna message them. No, we just tried to call him. See if we can get him there. We're efforting Colin Taylor, as they say. Well, let's see if we can get him on. But yeah, I, I gotta look at the list uh, and and try not to be biased. But yeah, there are some great plays, and you're right. I mean, there's stuff from the the '80s. I mean, Eric Dickerson. I mean, like you said, you know, it doesn't start and end in 1999. You know, uh, Eric Dickerson, Randall Cunningham. Um, you know, all the Montana the right stuff. John Elway was making plays. Uh, I mean, so many to choose from. And, and real quick, since we're talking NFL, I don't know if you saw this about your boy Troy Aikman coming out swinging. I don't know if you saw this. Someone had tweeted out that uh, already Patrick Mahomes has 33% of Aikman's career touchdown passes. And Aikman responded, you know, let me know when he has 33% of my Super Bowl wins. And I thought that was great. Uh, Again, I'm not an Aikman fan by any stretch. But I I tweeted this out, and I wanted to talk about it just real quick while we're working. This is the problem when you start looking at numbers and using numbers in football in particular to say who was and wasn't a great player. Because the way the league is now is not the way the league was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because it is so pass-heavy, we're going to see a lot of guys with gaudy pass numbers that you're going to be like, okay, yeah, that guy is not great. You know, you, you can't use those numbers just to say who is and isn't Because right now, Andy Dalton is second in the league or third in the league in passing yards but no one would say he's the third-best quarterback. So we're going to see a lot of these guys, you know, these pass-happy guys, even uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have more passing yards than a lot of Hall of Famers, but not be Hall of Fame. You know, Eli Manning has got more passing yards than, you know, maybe Dan Marino is getting close, but no one's going to say that Eli Manning is a better quarterback than Dan Marino. So I think we can use numbers for some things, but but numbers just aren't – they don't tell the whole story, particularly when it comes to football and the shift, you know, from a run-oriented uh, offenses to passing, which is why I think your man Emmett Smith, we may never see anybody get close to his record. But we, we just yeah. – we may never see it. You know, basically with a rushing record, 
there's been, what, like three guys over the last 80 years that have held that record. Jim Brown to Peyton to Emmett Smith. Yeah. But passing, you know, but passing, I think it went from Marino and then Favre and then Manning and now Breeze is right there and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be close and, and Brady's going to be there. You know, there's going to be like eight guys that break the record within like four or five seasons. And then within exactly. like ten, Patrick Mahomes is going to break all that. So, Yeah. And it's, it's crazy how, uh, like you said, that shift to passing. Uh, I'm still I'm watching every week of the, the Saturdays in the South, the SEC, the history of the SEC, the eight-part series that they're doing. And the other week, last week, you know, we got up to the 60s and talked about uh, Nate Northington you know, breaking the color barrier in the SEC. Well, last night was 1969-1979. So included in that were the Kentucky team that went 10-1, and one, uh, the Derrick Ramsey teams, and they talked and had Derrick Ramsey there a lot, <laughs> just like they spoke with Nate Northington, Mr. Northington the week before. Uh, Derrick Ramsey was giving his perspective uh, and talking about how some of the same things that, you know, black quarterbacks are having to go through now. He was talking about how he's having to change perceptions. And, of course, we know he ended up having to change positions when he went pro. But he was going through and reliving his time there at Kentucky, talking about his wins over Penn State um, and things of that nature. So it's cool to see that. And, of course, y'all can go back to the archives. We had Derek Ramsey on the show uh, and Sonny Collins and, and had a blast just talking to both of those gentlemen. Uh, such a fun time and just two of the many cool guests that we've been able to have and been fortunate to have on here. But at the beginning, it started with, like, Ole Miss and Archie Manning, his time down there with the Rebels, talking about the best game he had was that 33-32 loss to Alabama where Archie Manning put up, like, 540 yards in that game, which was unheard of because they just didn't pass the rock back then. It was, you know, everybody was running – you know, you know, Steve Spurrier back in the day went to Florida because that was the only team that passed. You know, he wasn't going to Tennessee because they were running. And, but to get to the point, it was in, they were interviewing Archie, and he was saying him and Eli were talking, and Eli was looking through the media guys, and Eli says, you know, Dad, your numbers weren't really that great here, kind of giving him a hard time. But they didn't pass. Just how much the game has changed you know, in 30 or 40 years to where you look at what Archie is, is a legend down there, but, you know, it was running, it was three yards in the cloud of dust, and uh, compared to now, compared to the way it's changed, even with what Mahomes has done and will continue to do. So, yeah, just going to what you said, you know, Eli sitting there giving a hard time, saying, man, your numbers weren't that good, because well, they never passed, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I think, you know, baseball, we've kind of, I think the home run has kind of got devalued over the last 10 to 15 years or so. Like, it's not revered like it used to be, guys getting close to 500, not quite, you know, 500 home runs, not a lot, right? I think Fred McGriff's right at 498, he's not in. I think he should probably get it. But, you know, baseball is more about numbers. but, But football, I just don't think you can do that. Uh, because and here's the thing too, pointing out 
I don't think anybody's getting close to Emmett and his record. But despite all the passing and all that, no one is really in sniffing distance of any of Jerry's records. No, you know, no. Rece- you know, receivers have put together, Antonio Brown put together four or five really good years, and Larry Fitzgerald has, has had a great, great career, who's still 7,000 yards behind Gary Wright. I mean, in, in, in when, when people – because I, I see this all the time. You know you've seen me on Twitter. People – this person is a better receiver than Jerry Wright. Uh, this week it was Calvin Johnson, who was phenomenal. Who was a phenomenal beat, you know, that broke the, the uh, season yardage record. I, I get that. And, and, and my thing with Jerry has never been – he doesn't have the season record for catches in the season or yards in a season, not even touchdowns in the season anymore. But there's something to be said to be so good for so long, the records are just ridiculously set apart from everybody else. And this was when yep. people weren't throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. You know, That's true. People always say, well, well, you know, he had Montana and Young throwing it to him. I said, yeah, yeah. But I looked at Randy Moss with Dante Culpepper and, 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 and Randall Cunningham, and if you looked at Joe Montana's highest attempts per season, was like 410, I believe, that would have been the lowest attempt for any quarterback that Randy Moss played with. So, yeah, he wasn't playing, and Dominic Pepper was really good. Let's not get it twisted. But the number of attempts have just gone up. You know, yep. they're, they're throwing 150 more times per, per, per season. So, yep. you know, it, it, it is what it is. But I think your guys' uh, rushing record is safe. For a long, long time, like like we may be grandparents before somebody catches that, and I feel the same way about uh, Rice's receiving record. Exactly. We'll try um, Colin Taylor again. That his phone was tripping, but we'll try him again. See if we can get through. Talk about those Gamecocks. Hello. Hello. Hey, Colin. Hey, Colin. Vinny Hardy. Hey, Brown. Cats on Wednesday. How you doing? Good. How are you? Sorry about that earlier. Oh, no problem, man. That, that stuff happens from time to time. Appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show, man. We uh calling in to get a little vibe or a little feel of what's going on down your way in Columbia as Kentucky and South Carolina get set to play Saturday night, man. Um, okay. I saw you wrote on, on GamecockCentral.com where this is – well, first of all, let me ask you this. You know, seeing the media days and heading into summer and everybody waiting for the season to start, South Carolina's sitting at 1-3 and three now. Is that where you saw them would be, where you thought they would be based on the schedule? Did you see them beating North Carolina at least being two and two? What was your expectations coming in, yeah. and then now you see where they are now? I think I probably would, at the beginning of the year, probably put them at three and one, two and two right now. Um, I definitely thought they'd beat North Carolina, and then Missouri would be a toss-up. So uh, I think I'm not far off in saying that 
I think this has been kind of an unexpected turn for South Carolina. I think the team would also be probably the, one of the team people to say that too, just because they expected to go out there and probably be two and zero heading into Alabama, um, and there was a chance to be three and one coming out of it. So, yeah, this is definitely unexpected, and this sets up a pretty big game Saturday against Kentucky. Yeah, and so even losing Debo and, and all that is still it's just a, a a shock a shocking development with the way it's played out so far. Yeah, and I think that they've gotten a lot of good play from um Brian Edwards and, and Shai Smith, but you lose a guy like Debo and it's gonna impact you a lot. They're still trying to kinda of find that big play threat outside of Brian Edwards. Um Josh Smith's done a little bit of it, but Debo did so much of the run game and on special teams that they're still trying to, I think, figure that out a little bit. But they have a, a bunch of good playmakers, I think, in Brian Edwards, especially a receiver, and then uh, Shai Smith in the return game. So it's just about getting those guys kind of a little bit more comfortable being the, the option there. Um, but, yeah, Debo was a, a big loss uh, coming out last season. Talking with Colin Taylor, covering South Carolina from GamecockCentral.com. We, you know, seeing and reading about uh, Jamius Williams and DB transferring. Was that another unexpected turn, or were there rumors of that, or uh, did it just kind of hit everybody, the team and staff out of the blue? Or? I think that was. I mean, for, for us, it was kind of out of the blue. Um, it was one of those where, like, I mean, he was starting. He was playing a bunch on uh, defense. He started, I think, the first three, four ga- games at safety. So, uh, just a guy looking for another opportunity. He didn't play well um, the first three weekends of the year. I think just a guy looking for another opportunity after what I think he lost his, his starting spot or he was, he was kind of getting passed over. He didn't start against Missouri. So, um, a little bit out of the blue, but South Carolina's got a few other guys that are trying back there and, a pretty thin safety spot. And that's, that's kind of what I thought. In, in reading some of the articles, some of the adjectives describing the blow that this was to the secondary was I saw the leaguers being thrown around. Uh, you mentioned that they were thin. So how how big a blow is it? Is it I mean, you mentioned it's out of the blue. What are their options, I guess, since you said they are kind of thin back there. Right. I, so I think you'll see JT Ebay and, and RJ Roderick um, start at safety this week. But after that, they really don't have another guy to put back there in the rotation outside of Jamel Cook, who's been so hit or miss uh, since he transferred in at the beginning of last season. Um, he struggled to see the field. And then you have Israel Mukwamu, who's their, one of their starting corners that's played. Uh, some safety in the past and has done it this year. So, but if they move him back there, then obviously they're they're saying at the corner spot and have to start probably a converted running back in AJ Turner or a freshman at the other safety spot. So, um, it'll be interesting to see. I think their first two guys are pretty good, but after that, then you're starting to get into either some inexperienced guys or um, guys that just aren't really, you know, as, as talented as maybe a Jam Jam Williams was. Over Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com. And let me just say, man, the, the way Spell Collins is definitely interesting. I've never seen it with two L's and a Y before. That's pretty unique. 
Yeah, no, my parents like to, uh, they like to give me the, not let me have any of those, like, little license plates from Disneyland. They want me to keep, keep having to make my own. <laughs> Uh, hilarious, and um, look, and we haven't been as, as Kentucky fans through that cover Kentucky. We haven't been on the good side of streets very often. I mean, there's been times where they beat Vanderbilt a handful of times in a row. Been on the wrong side of the streak that lasted a good portion of my life to Tennessee. Just broke a 31-year streak to Florida last year. The fact that Kentucky has beaten South Carolina five years in a row, what's the fan base? How are, how are they wrapping their heads around it? Are they still just just ticked off? Is it denial? Are they giving Kentucky a little bit of credit? What's, where is everybody at as far as this streak that they're trying to break against UK? Oh, they're, they're pretty ticked off about it just because, historically speaking, this has been a series they've, they've dominated. I mean, from 1937, I was looking at the other night, from 1937 to 2013, they lost to Kentucky a grand total of seven times and tied one. So um, this is a series they've grown pretty comfortable winning uh, up until about 2014 when that streak started. So fans are really, really antsy to win this one. Um, I think that this has become a big game on the calendar every year just because they want to see this streak in so badly. Um, And you know, I don't think they really viewed Kentucky as a, a football school um, until recently just because it has been so basketball heavy that losing, starting to, starting a streak like this to a team that they've otherwise record-wise dominated for the past, you know, 60 years has been, um, it's peeved them off a little bit, and I think they're ready to see it in. No doubt, no doubt. Now, where is everybody at on, on Will Muschamp? Um, you know, one and three now. Got a bye week coming. What's his, for lack of a better term, approval rate? Yeah, um, it's not great right now. Um, losing to North Carolina didn't do a whole lot. The way they ended last year with um, two losses in the last three games, they didn't score a point in the final six quarters of the year, and then you come out and you lose to North Carolina, and then. Um, lose to, to Missouri the way they did. I don't think that he has a lot of fans in his corner right now, so he needs something good for him to happen. I would say that, I mean, approval rating is well below 50%. Uh, I think fans are starting to get a little frustrated with him. They want to see a big win, um, just because those haven't been, I think he's done a good job of beating the teams he's supposed to beat, um, but fans really need to see a, a big win if they want to kind of get back in his corner, because right now, things are getting very to the point where fans are kind of growing tired of just what we've seen on Twitter and on message boards and things like that. Man, TB, jump in anytime, man. You already know. Oh, you're good. <laughs> so we're talking with Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com, getting the South Carolina perspective before the Cats roll down to Columbia Saturday evening. If they were to lose to Kentucky for a sixth straight time Colin, and drop to one and four while still having to play Florida, A&M, Clemson, and Georgia. Heading into this bye week, would that be enough to, for them to just make a change right then? Is he 
Is his seat so hot that he may not make it through the season with another loss to Kentucky Saturday? I think he'll make it through the season. Um, Ray Tanner actually came out tonight on a Wednesday to kind of voice his support of Muschamp on the radio. and So I think he makes it through the season. And that buyout, I think it's a 22-point-something million-dollar buyout if they fire him before. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's big. And it goes down to just 18.6 after the season. So uh, that reason alone, I think he sticks around um, at least through the end of the year. So it's um, – if they wanted to fire him, it's going to cost them a pretty pretty penny to do so. What's the um, everybody's viewpoint? Because you guys are down to a backup quarterback, just like Kentucky is, with Sire Smith kind of getting his feet wet. What's everybody's feeling uh, about Zelensky since he's had to fill in for, for Jay Bentley? Uh, I think fans – I think even if Bentley didn't get hurt, I think fans are ready, were ready to see uh, Ryan Zelensky. He came in with a lot of hype around him. Uh, played pretty well in his first um, two starts. Did not look good against Missouri, but he was battling a sore elbow. Uh, just wasn't accurate. So I think fans are, are really optimistic about Zelensky and what he was able to do against Alabama, uh, putting him 324 yards against them. So they're pretty excited about him. I think that they think he's kind of the guy to get this program back to where they hope it was, hope we can get to back when they were winning 11 straight or 11 wins and beating Clemson and then things like that. Talking with Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com. Now, I'm not trying to like encourage you to talk about other media members or another media outlet, but the state headline when everybody, even casual fans kind of know that Polinsky's Brian Lynch's brother committed suicide and they've got the foundation Polinsky Hope and then the state runs the headline after the loss of Missouri and Polinsky Hope sinks and have gotten themselves into a lot of trouble and feeling the wrath from his family and the school how deep is the doo-doo that the state is in for running that headline. They've apologized and things of that nature and trying to, to patch it up. But how big a distraction yeah. is it? How upset is everyone at the state right now for all this? Uh, yeah, it's um, fans are not happy about it. Uh, the state's come out and said that it was one of their uh, people that works in Charlotte that wrote the headline. And uh, I can tell you fans are not really happy with the state. Um, it's been a long kind of battle with them, so distraction-wise, I don't think there's one. I think fans have just kind of um, once Saturday happens, they'll kind of is where uh, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty big topic of conversations around here with this fan base, and um, yeah, fans are really not happy about it. Yeah, yeah, it was a big foot-in-mouth moment and, and saw that, and I was like, oh, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, being from Columbia there and knowing the area, I've you know, been through there several times. You know, when you go to Myrtle Beach and stopped off and stuff there. For everybody that's heading down there this weekend from Kentucky, where is your go-to places to eat? You know, the can't-miss places that you always hit in Columbia as far as food recommendations. Can't have you on without talking some a little food, man. Okay, that's that's perfect. That's my only area of expertise. Um, 
Uh, Rockaway Athletic Club. Rockaway Athletic Club is one I would definitely hit. Uh, best Pimento Cheeseburger in Columbia. If you're looking for uh, an adult beverage and some food and some pizza, Village Idiot's a really good place down at Five Points. They're um, kind of College Park District area. That's really good. Um, I really like No Name Deli. If you're going for lunch on Friday, getting in, No Name Deli's great. Uh, there's a few places, Late Night Eats, uh, Beezer's right across from campus. Uh, great. Uh, there's a lot of good places. Paulie's Front Porch. Um, it's a big old burger place. It's been on a couple different national places. So you got your you got your work cut out for if you want to get some good food down here. There's there are a lot of good places. <laughs> hey, sounds good. Sounds good. One last thing, man. Since this, um, look, you said food your only expertise, but I'm gonna shift it to music. It's National One Hit Wonder yeah. Day. Do you have a favorite one hit wonder song that you know that kind of just Stand above the rest in your musical opinion. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I'll probably say Ice Ice Baby, Vanilla Ice. <laughs> wow, look at you going old school. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, that's a good choice. It's a good choice. Man, Colin, can't thank you enough for taking the time to hop on the show with us, give us a little South Carolina Gamecock perspective. Um, looking forward to seeing them go at it again. Both of them meeting the W. It should be a fun, hard-fought game down there at williams Bright. Yeah, no, I'm looking to appreciate you guys having me on. I'm looking forward to hopefully hopefully a good game. The last few years have been pretty good, so hopefully this one's the same way. Yeah, man. Well, we appreciate your time and hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You too. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Yep. No problem. Kyle Taylor, GamecockCentral.com. <clears throat> Giving us a little more detail of what we already knew. You know, they ain't happy with old Willie Muschamp down there. And. Lose to Kentucky for the sixth time? Four of those losses on him beat Spur for the two. So this will be four straight for Muschamp. One and four. Still got Florida. Still got Texas A&M. Still got Clemson. Still got Georgia. Like you said, TB, they ain't going bowling. If they, and they might not if they win Saturday, but they pretty darn sure ain't if they lose Saturday. Yeah, one and one and four. It's it's gonna. Be, there's a lot to play for, right? You know, uh, as we've said, uh, I've said, there have been two whole South Carolina recruiting classes that have come through, exhausted eligibility, and have not beaten Kentucky, and that's got to mean something, you know, to to, to these guys. Uh, you, you know, streaks and, and winning. Uh, you know how we felt finally beating Florida and finally beating Tennessee, and and I can imagine having a winning or losing streak to Kentucky in, in football. That's a what? <laughs> you know. So uh, this this game, I just I thought was a toss up at the beginning of the season because I'm like, can Kentucky really beat a team six times? In a row, I, you know I don't know, but but I, I think I might have had us losing this. I can't remember. Uh, but now I, I think it, it's a must win. 
it, it really is for both teams. Uh, I would love to see us come out and pound that ball. But again, South Carolina's going to be playing. This is this is equivalent to you know basketball. You know, in in beginning of March when you've got teams on the bubble trying to play themselves, you know, into the conversation for the NCAA tournament. This is the same kind of thing. So, uh, I, I, for for my money, it, it's going to be a tough game. It, it's going to be a, a a brutal SEC game because there's a lot. You know, a loss for either one of these teams at this point does a real big damage to both teams' uh, season goals. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks again to Colin for coming on dropping knowledge. Uh, like I asked Colin, you know, would it be in National One Hit Wonder Day? We put it up on Cat's Talk Wednesday on Twitter. Uh, what's y'all's favorite one hit wonder? So TV was yours, and then y'all listening, go ahead and tweet us what y'all's favorite is. But TV, what is your one hit wonder of all one hit wonders? Uh, for me, uh, I said it was. Uh, uh, Cisco, the song song. That that to me, I think reach, reaches one hit wonder status. Uh, what aggravates me are the people that that want to put. And I've seen this question asked a lot today. The the people that want to put uh, uh, Sir Mix a Lot with Baby Got Back. My pause is on Broadway charted. It was like a top ten hit. So that doesn't count. That doesn't qualify. Yeah. You know, I, I right. think Vanilla Ice qualifies. Uh, Lou Bega, mm-hmm. Mambo Number Five, that qualifies. You know, uh, but no, I, I wouldn't put Sir Mix Light on there. But for me, it's the it's the thong song with uh, with Cisco. Yeah, well, uh, I think I quoted yours when I meant to quote the shows, but yeah, mine's a little older, just because it was. I don't know. It was just funky. It was it was that D like grooving in the heart. You know, back in seventh eighth grade, you know, they used to let you watch MTV in school. And that video would come on like every morning <laughs> before homeroom, and it was just happy and it was just you know fun. Uh, that bass line at the beginning. Uh, so that was you know, and I I also like. Uh, you know, tell me by groove theory. That's up there as well. But uh, I think overall, I went delight grooves in the heart. So just fun stuff. You know that you see on Twitter. Everybody's got their favorites. So National One Hit Wonder Day, and they stick with you. You know, it's it's kind of like we talked about. You know, Timmy Smith is one hit, is one game wonder the Super Bowl. And David Tyree, the fact that neither one of them. We're on a team the following season after helping the team play a pivotal role in helping the team get a ring. And Doug Williams never played after he was uh, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, you know, just weird how that works out. And, and Doug had had a career before. His crowning moment was in the Super Bowl, but nobody had even heard of Timmy Smith before he ran yeah. wild that day. But uh, some some one hit wonders of note. Uh, 
I'm I'm kind of uh-huh. looking some of these. I remember uh, James Blunt, your your beautiful uh, D4L Laffy Taffy. Oh. I remember that one. Uh, <laughs> Baja Man, who let the dogs out? How can we forget? Oh him? man, that yeah. one, Macy Gray. I I try looking at the '90s. Uh, Snade O'Connor didn't reach it. It's nothing compares to you. Uh, D-Light, your groove is in the heart. Uh, EMF, unbelievable. Right said Fred, I'm too sexy. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Paperboy Diddy, yeah, I go with that one. Uh, Aini Kamosi, here comes the hot stepper, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, Don't yeah. one of God was one of us. I love that this was one. Jail, that was hey. a jail. Which one was a jail? Who? That Joan Osborne was a jam. It was it was slow yeah. and, and it was, I love that man. Yeah. God uh, had a face. What, what he looked like. Skilo, oh, yeah. I wish. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Fiona Apple, criminal. These are from the nineties. New radicals, you get what you give. There's my Lou Bega Mambo number five. Lynn, steal my sunshine. I. I these are all my college wow. songs right here, buddy. These are uh, uh, right said Fred, I'm too sexy. Uh looking at the eighties, lips, incorporated funky town. Uh wow. ooh, Grover Washington Junior, just the two of us. Soft cell, tainted love. Uh Thomas Dolby, she blinded me with science. I love that song. I don't uh, look I don't, I don't think Grover should qualify. It, I, I, I wouldn't like, think so. Like Mr. Uh, Magic I, and and uh, that one song he did strictly for Dr. J. I can't think of it. I mean, it's, you know, all cool, smooth jazz type stuff. But I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't second Grover being on there. Uh, Rockwell, somebody's watching me. Oh yeah. Which is the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Barry Gordy's son, right? The most yeah. amazing thing about this one-hit wonder is Rockwell, Somebody's Watching Me, 1984. You got Michael Jackson, who is who just is riding the thriller wave, singing background vocals. <laughs> that, to me, is the most amazing thing ever. Like, he's got Michael Jackson at his peak singing background vocals. On a one-hit wonder song, so yeah, I, I kind of like that one. Ooh, Eddie Murphy, uh, party all the time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so there's a there's a lot of one-hit wonders out there uh, when you look at it. For sure, for sure, always fun. Just going over stuff like that and reminiscing, seeing who likes what. Uh, my niece tweeted in Wayne Wonder, no letting go. She's bringing up the younger crowd because she's like 20, she's 21 now. So, yeah, that's her favorite one-hit wonder. Uh, you already mentioned Diddy by Paperboy. So, always fun yep. hitting that random fun stuff. It, 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 um, go ahead. Diddy is my, when it's, when it's this nice fall weather and then the spring roll down the windows, Diddy is my jam. That is my Let's turn up the radio, 
let's let's jam some. So I love me some Diddy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we mentioned Michael Mortar last week. Uh, getting a deal, signing with the NBA squad, and now we got Tyler Ulis. Um, getting back into the league with Sacramento. Got a chance to be uh, spelling Deer Fox out there with the Kings. And Ozzy Comfrey signing with the Magic. So a couple former cats getting back into the league. Uh, saw Cal tweeting about the Curry Johnson the other day where he was showing out over in China. And Cal just putting, he can really help a team. Just kind of, you know, nudging and, and Putting the flyer out there, so congratulations to Tyler and Ozzy Stone for sure. Yeah, you know, I have I had a feeling that that, uh, that Tyler Ewis was going to get back in the mix. Uh, he's too smart of a player to not to not do that, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely glad to see that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now we look. Any school can act a fool at any time, but Kansas's transgressions may be finally catching up with them. Going to get you know the, the notice of alleg- uh, letter of allegations, notice of what, what am I trying to say? The NOI notice of anyway, they in trouble <laughs> and. Possibly lack of institutional control as well with some of the Billy Creston stuff and the DeSouza stuff and who knows what else they might unearth. I don't know what Bill Self is trying to fight, but, you know, the Adidas scandal and all of that is, you know, Kansas have been linked to it and now we're finally starting to kind of see something happen with it. So, uh, again, I always preface it, and I know you saw my Facebook post and my posts uh, on on Twitter. Any school can end up on the ESPN front page at any given time. But here's the thing. I'm a Kentucky fan, and I remember 2009 when John Calipari was hired to coach the University of Kentucky. And everybody, and I mean every opposing fan, what did they say? Put those banners up with Velcro. Right? <laughs> so since that time, North Carolina's had a huge, huge scandal. Got a slap on the wrist, still a huge scandal. Uh, my hometown, beloved Cardinals, have been the first NCAA men's basketball team to have to pull a championship banner down and vacate that. And now Kansas, not to mention, you know, we've seen Arizona, we've seen scandals at this place and that place. Everybody that told me that my coach was crooked and my school was crooked, now all of a sudden, well, you know, it's everybody does it. Everybody does it. Now all of a sudden it's, you know, it's now now they have a problem with NCAA. You know, I've seen Kansas people saying that I guess one of the people named the NCAA actually cleared, I think, to allow him to play. And I'm like, they did that twice with Derrick Rose. It doesn't matter. You know, in 10 years, the NCAA went from being at the peak of all that is virtue and all that is special about college athletics. Now, 
the NCAA comes knocking on your door, now all of a sudden the NCAA is corrupt and they have grudges and they do this and they do that. It's just weird. And all this stuff that has come out, and we've seen a lot, all this stuff that has come out, the only thing they have, the only thing that has been brought to light remotely connected to Kentucky was Kenny Payne telling somebody, you better be careful. That's it. That's it. And as soon as the FBI probe started all this, there's no doubt in my mind that folks licked their chops thinking they could get Cal in Kentucky. And after all this, despite everybody else in the top ten programs being implicated and being involved, people still, well, you know, Kentucky cheap. Shut up. Put up or shut Just, Just shut up. You know, and again, tomorrow, hey, it could be Kentucky, but, man, as of right now, I'm enjoying it. Just this, whatever happens in Kansas is going to be huge. You know, somebody's saying, oh, they're not going to hammer Kansas. Uh, they already did, which is why Larry Brown left Kansas. They didn't say they hammered Kansas before. You know, I don't know why people think, and I know North Carolina is a weird case, but people think, in, you know, they, they don't hammer big schools. Louisville was a big, big-time school to have a championship banner pulled down. You know, Miami uh, uh, Hurricane football has been hammered a lot. <laughs> and they were really good cash cows for the NCAA. So uh, Kentucky has been hit historically. Kansas has been historically. UCLA has been hit historically. So I don't understand this notion of, you know, these teams are too big when, when they do get hit. So Kansas, sorry about your, your, your luck, Jayhawk. But it doesn't look good. Yeah. Yeah, so we shall see. Some other big news that happened since we were on last. So uh definitely had to talk about that. Also gotta talk about like we talked NFL earlier. <clears throat> you talked about all the teams in your division out there that aren't really wowing you, Seattle, Arizona. The Rams. Um, same thing in the NFC East. The Giants, even though they you know, kind of have a renewed optimism with the rookie Daniel Jones beating Tampa Bay. The Redskins are the Redskins. We saw that Monday. But the Eagles, you know, coming in with high expectations. Carson Wentz getting paid a you know, ton of money. And they sit at one and two. Uh, I, I take the light in that, you know, especially the Eagles and the Redskins, but even more so the Eagles sometimes. Seeing their struggles, seeing them try to come back against the Lions at home. Uh, we talk about Kentucky receivers having issues with drops. You know, uh, Ahmad Wagner had some drops. Lynn Bowden had some drops. You know, the fourth and eight where he you know, got that first down all his own was awesome, but he dropped the touchdown, and he's been having a few drops in every game. You know, I was there at the Toledo game, and he had a couple that he should have caught, and it's, you know, kind of been plaguing him throughout this season. But Hakeem Laws 
is a fireman up in Philadelphia, PB, and he had to respond, as first responders do, to a, a bad situation where there, there was a fire and there was lives in danger. And after everybody had been rescued, they're talking to King Laws about the structure that he just retrieved individuals from. And he got to the point that the thing that went viral, he said, you know, man, they was, they was throwing babies down to us and we was catching them. <laughs> Unlike Aguilar, who is Eagles wide receiver Nelson Aguilar, who dropped the touchdown <laughs> right there that Carson Wentz put right in his hands, uh, that would have uh, helped the Eagles beat Detroit. And look, we all know the legendary passion that goes way overboard that Philadelphia fans have, particularly the Eagles. Phillies are, you know, bad as well, and Sixers, but the Eagles are legendary in their own league. But for Hakeem Laws to just casually talk about saving lives and catching babies, and we was catching them, unlike Aguilar, and just drop that line right in there and crush the dude who's in there dropping passes for the Eagles, that was hilarious especially with me as a Cowboys fan, to see them lose and to see, you know, dude call him out like that. Uh, Aguilar has responded and put out a tweet about, I left some catches on the field, and he even invited Hakeem Law to a game. And he's trying to help everybody, trying to have people get in touch with Mr. Law so he can get us some tickets to the game. What other choice does Aguilar have? A working man, a firefighter, Busting his tail, catching children, infants, lights you up like that, and it's actually true. You, you better get that man some tickets to the game. That's that's all Aguilar can do because Hakeem Laws roasted him. It was hilarious, and it was look. I love seeing the Eagles struggle, and I, I took delight in that. The best part of the interview was the gentleman like looked at the camera, like mugged for the camera, like on the office, like looked on like Aguilar and like looked and paused and continued his harrowing tale of rescuing children out of the building. That was the best part. Like, like we didn't put this up on the show page because it, it wasn't just what he said. It was the delivery. It was just a deadpan. Here we are rescuing babies and we had to catch them, which he's just totally monotone about catching these kids kind of uh, this fire. He's like, unlike Aguilar, you know. And then, like, oh. looks at the camera for a beat, and then goes back. That's the best part. Oh, man. Had that been any other city with a guy crushing any other team, it could have been a Miami firefighter talking about the Dolphins. But the fact that it's Philly, and we know how Philly fans are, you know, and for him, like you said, the delivery – and and me just, you know, taking delight and being petty about all things that happened to the Eagles negatively. That was all oh, that was so good. Absolutely. It was so good, man. And <clears throat> hopefully everybody thought this show was good. We had fun, you know, throwing in some one hit wonders. Getting some South Carolina Gamecocks talk, some Title IX talk, um, Kansas talk, Eagles struggling talk. 
Kentucky looking to bounce back in Columbia uh, and, and win a sixth game in a row against South Carolina. Uh, got some perspective from Colin Taylor. Appreciate him hopping on. Had tons of fun, man. The two hours fly by, but it's, it's always a lot of fun. And, and, you know, looking forward to Saturday. Uh, I, I picked Kentucky over the summer to beat South Carolina. I still, and as rough as they have been the past couple of weeks, they they are capable. They should beat South Carolina. Um, ain't nothing to it but to go out and do it because we still see them as being a little bit better than these teams. But you know, the old Bill Parcells line: your record, you are what your record says you are. They're zero two in the SEC, just like South Carolina, just like Vanderbilt, just like Tennessee. Uh, so. They got to play their way out of being perceived as cellar dwellers, and the first opportunity to do that is Saturday against the Gamecocks. I, I got the Cats winning by a touchdown. They get back to that. You got to watch, folks. Forty pa- rushing attempts versus forty passing attempts. That's how Kentucky wins. So uh, that I think they I think they do that. I think they get the job done. We get to three and two, head to the bye week, and then get ready for Arkansas. Yeah, and uh, get Sawyer Smith through this bye week. Everybody's banged up, but we're already on our backup, and he's already been banged up a few weeks. Uh, looks like he was even kind of throwing a little bit sidearm Saturday, more so than normal. Uh, talked about how sore he was Sunday, and they were really like, whoa, this dude might not play. But he's uh, working it out to where it looks like he'll be able to play. Get him through this game and, and get him a week off and – get everybody uh, rejuvenated with this first bye week. Got two bye weeks this year. Got the first one coming up so everybody can uh, rest up and lick their wounds and be healthy to come out and not be flat against Arkansas. That's the Jared Lorenzen game, and Arkansas is terrible. So be the team that you're supposed to beat like you're supposed to beat them. Absolutely. Had a ball, man. Stay cool up there. It is officially fall, so cool weather will eventually come and maybe even some rain. We'll believe it when we see it, but at some point it's got to happen for us. Absolutely. Appreciate everybody everybody checking out the show. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate Michelle, as always, the number one fan. Everybody listening live now, or if you're catching the podcast, it'll be up shortly. It also replays on 12 Ounce Sports Radio. Appreciate everything, TV. Everybody have a good night, and thank y'all for listening to Catch Up Wednesday. Brandon Harden Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll see y'all next week.